0: Welcome to Onside, the official podcast from the Australian Sports Anti Doping Authority. Our mission is to protect the health of athletes and the integrity of Australian sport.
1: Hello and welcome to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. And today we've been joined by Asada's State Managers, Doping Control, John Rhodes from Victoria and Alyssa Reddy from Queensland. Good morning.
2: Good yeah, morning. Good morning.
1: Uh, Just tell us about your role firstly Lisa you have a legal background exactly what does the state manager for ASADA do?
2: I think what the state manager for ASADA does varies by day to day so mainly we're about um, ensuring that the DCOs and chaperones are doing the job as well as they can Um, we're there to support the DCOs and chaperones and um, really providing that conduit between the Canberra office and the regional staff and also working with sports
1: and um, building those sort of relationships. Yes, DCOs are doping control officers for those uh, who are not sure what a DCO is. And what about you, John? How do you perceive your role as the state manager?
0: I think in addition to what Elise has said, I think our role is to change the way the DCO has done their operations in the past. I think there's been uh, a perception that a DCO has been seen as an enemy of the sport, and I think our role is, is to make sure that they uh, attend sports in a manner which is friendly. It produces a great relationship between the sport and the testing agency, ASADA. And we can make sure that the, the results that we're trying to achieve right across the board um, are, t- are maintained in a very, very friendly uh, professional manner.
1: Yes, because you are the public face. You're, you're the person that, and ASADA staff at DCOs, chaperones, they're the, the front line, aren't, aren't they?
0: That's correct, they are. And I think that uh, the perception of Asada in the past has been misrepresented and I think that when you see them working as, as professionally as they do, it's uh, it's uh, heartening to see the way they uh, speak to athletes, the way they test athletes and get the outcomes they get.
1: Lisa, when you go on, obviously, on these missions, these testing missions, uh, what is it, the initial reaction from people and has it changed uh, as you become more and more familiar with, with the sports and the athletes?
2: I think I've certainly seen a change. Um, I was a DCO for um, probably about 18 months before I moved into the state manager's role. So I think over over time, it has certainly people are a lot friendlier um, than they used to be and whether or not that's a result of many factors. But I think it's partly because um, the DCOs and the chaperones are going out and really trying to engage with athletes um, and the organisations and trying to educate them. So that's a big part of what DCOs and chaperones are doing while they're sort of waiting for athletes to provide samples. They're, you know, providing education so that we're seen as enabling athletes um, as as opposed to just being, you know, a regulatory authority.
1: Or an inconvenience.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So do you find that, I guess, your mere presence there gives a sense that there is, you know, somebody in charge and And a point of contact to a certain extent.
2: I think so, yes. I think the state manager role is so new. It's only been around since July, so it's certainly something that's evolving um, and it's providing us with the ability to be out in the field and have that contact that they didn't used to have the sporting organisations.
1: And having a legal background, I'm sure you get plenty of questions legally too. And you're able to answer them, I would imagine.
2: Uh, I think there's a limitation as to what <laughs> what you're allowed to say and what you're not. Yes. So, um, you know, you try to be as helpful as you can, um, but, you yeah. know, there's, it's, it's actually that don't, I don't get too many curly legal questions.
1: Yes. What about you, John, given you've come from the International Cricket Council working in, in anti-corruption, um, you've been very much at the the front line of, of that part of the world. Is this different than, than what you've been dealing with in the past?
0: Oh, very much so. I think when you go to uh, an in-competition test uh, and you watch the uh, DCOs and chaperones work, you get a real sense of their professionalism, but I get more a sense of their professionalism when we go to an athlete's home, either early in the morning or late at night, uh, and the athlete may be a a, a young person. um, And the way uh, you watch the DCO and chaperones operate, it really is so professional. And I think the way they put parents at ease the way they care for the athlete, to me it's so opposite to what I've done in the past, you know, investigating and and looking for people who are trying to corrupt a a game as opposed to people who are protecting a game. So to me it's um, interesting. I'm learning a huge amount but as I said at our our conference just recently that uh, now that I'm uh, within the Asada family, it's so great to see the professional process that the DCOs and chaperones uh, put forward because it really sells what Asada is trying to achieve, which is a fairness in sport.
1: Was your perception of Asada different and I guess what Wada does as well different now that you've been working on the inside?
0: Oh absolutely. I think you've you form an impression when you're you're outside not knowing what people actually do within the organization. So you think, you know, um, they just walk in, grab an athlete, come and do this. And it's so much more than that. There's so much more done by the DCO and so much more by the chaperone. So the professional standing of our uh, operators in the field is really first class.
1: What about you, Lisa? I guess, you know, you've been a a DCO, now you're a state manager. But prior to that, what was your image and impression of Asada looking outside?
2: I think that it's something that has really changed in recent times. Um, It used to be, Asada used to be sort of the bad guy. Um, That's how I kind of (laughs) saw it to be, that they were really an inconvenience and just... Something that I saw in the media, and it was only really ever negative. Um, but it's really been in recent times that that has actually changed to be much more about athlete centric and about helping athletes um, to comply. So it's certainly something that is evolving and changing.
1: Uh, to both of you, do you see your role as educators as well? Because you are on the front line, you get plenty of questions about. Asada, the role that it plays. Do you do you find that you are a, an educator as well?
2: Absolutely. I don't know about you, Rhodesy, but I certainly do. You certainly get lots of questions when you're out in the field um, about supplements and um, medications and how does this work, how does that process work? So it's certainly very much about helping athletes and enabling them.
0: I agree. I think that, you know, referring athletes to the, the Asada app, you know, to use and check for supplement use. I think the uh, the education of support staff within sports is also important too because they do see us as a hindrance because they've got certain timelines to do things. So we speak to them and put them at ease. Uh, and I think we also educate um, our DCOs and chaperones on perhaps how to speak to people to bring them on side in a much friendlier way and that seems to be working quite well, I think.
1: Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to calm people down and just explain exactly what you did? Uh, I've had one. just it it's, it's
0: about, I think, coaches are under so much pressure nowadays, all coaching staff, and they've got specific things they must get done to to achieve their KPIs. So sometimes they see the hindrance, uh, which is the ASADA testing group, and when you split them over in a very short space of time, they relax and calm down and they're fine. What about you, Liz?
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It's um, There are a lot of pressures on athletes and support staff and coaches, but I do think that they're now so well-educated um, about that they need to comply and how the level of compliance that they need to do, that people tend to, they might be not overly happy about it, but people tend to comply because they know that they have to and I think that's a credit to the education um, that ASADA's doing is that it's raising the level of awareness of what ASADA does and people just tend to comply because, you know, they know they have to and they're also supportive of what we're doing. So that's a good thing.
1: One of the biggest criticisms, I guess, uh, before coming into Asada was, listen, why does Asada test at six o'clock in the morning? Why do they come to my house at eleven o'clock at night? And I, I guess you know now, sort of going out there and and telling the athletes exactly why. Do you find that those questions still exist? Why, 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 why? <laughs> I don't
0: think they exist as much as they used to. No, I think there's an acceptance now. Yeah, I think there's an acceptance about we're trying to uh, make sure there's an acceptance of uh, fairness in sport. Um, which means there's a testing program and the testing program is all-encompassing. And whether it comes from a young athlete or an older grizzly athlete, they now understand that from an education perspective, expect us at any time, but they know they'll be treated well and fairly and uh, over a short space of time the tests are achieved.
2: I couldn't agree with that anymore. I think it's just very much something that athletes know that has to happen in order to have fairness in sport. And so it's really heartening when you go to missions and people say, oh, it's great to see Asada here. And you think, well, we're doing our job. Like it's, there's, you know, the general acceptance and people are supportive and athletes themselves are happy to go through the process because they know that other athletes are going through it. So it should be, you know, across the board fair. So that's, it's a good thing.
1: And you're enjoying the roles? I love it. It's great. great. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you, John. Thank you, Alyssa. Today on Onside, our guests were Asada's State Managers, Doping Control John Rhodes and Alyssa Reddy. More with Onside in just a moment. This is Onside, the official podcast of Asada. Hello and welcome back to Onside, I'm Tim Gavel. Time now for So I Was Wondering, where questions from the public are answered by Asada staff. And today's question is, what is prohibited association? To answer the question, we've been joined by Asada's Director of Legal, Reggie Weiss. Reggie, firstly, what is prohibited association?
3: Well, Tim, when athletes cheat, they don't usually do that alone. The prohibited association rule aims to protect clean competitors from individuals that might seek to prey on our athletes. This rule stops an athlete from knowingly getting assistance from coaches or trainers and other support persons who are sanctioned or criminally convicted of doping. The key word here, Tim, is knowingly. We certainly aren't out there to punish people who associate with someone by accident or without knowledge. The rule is actually very complicated, though, and we encourage people to have a read of it and reach out to us at any stage if they have further questions or worries. We really don't mind helping people to understand these sorts of rules.
1: So, Reggie, what does it mean for athletes and support personnel?
3: Tim, it means you can't do things like obtain training, strategy, technique, nutrition or medical advice from a sanctioned person. It also covers things like obtaining therapy or treatment or getting prescriptions for drugs. In extreme cases, it even covers someone providing blood samples to a sanctioned person for analysis. Another really important point to make here, which people don't often realise, Tim, is that it doesn't matter whether you pay for those things or you get things like advice for free. You just can't knowingly put yourself in that situation with a currently sanctioned person. If someone is in any doubt, they can call us or email us, and we'll help them understand what is what it is that they can or can't do.
1: And what are the proposed sanctions for non-compliance,
3: Tim? There are really serious consequences. For people who aren't or aren't already sanctioned, they face a two-year ban. For people that do this while they are already serving a sanction they have to finish their original ban and then as a further punishment, they have to restart their ban again. So for example, if you had a one-year ban, you need to finish that and then you'll have another one-year ban added to the end. It is very tough and very serious. We really don't want to see athletes or support persons commit this type of violation. So it's always better to check first and be on solid ground.
1: Reggie, thanks very much for that information. Thanks, Tim. That was Asada's Director of Legal, Reggie Weiss, answering the question, what is prohibited association? More with OnSide in just a moment.
0: Time now for a fast fact.
3: Athletes should be ready to be tested
0: anywhere, anytime. Our testing program is based on an intelligence and a risk-based approach and will be adapted accordingly while prioritising the health of athletes and our
1: staff. Ryan McAuliffe, Asada Communication Officer. Thanks for listening to Onside. I'm Tim Gavel.
0: You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to executiveoffice at asada.gov.au For more information about clean, fair sport, visit our website, asada.gov.au Or check out our Clean Sport app.